Good afternoon. My name is Chris, and I will be your conference operator today. Welcome to Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies Beltway Briefing Series, The Road to the 2018 Midterm Elections. Our call today will be moderated by Blake Rutherford, a member of Colson O'Connor. Our speakers are Howard Schweitzer, Managing Partner, and Mark Alderman, Chairman of Colson O'Connor Public Strategies. This recording will also be available after the call at copublicstrategies.com, as well as on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for Cozen O'Connor. To submit live questions, please email presidentialanalysis at cozen.com, presidentialanalyst at cozen.com. Thank you. Thank you, and and thanks, everybody. Um, I'm Blake Rutherford. And I'm joined, um, as always, by Mark Alderman, the chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. But uh, we've got a we've got a few utility players. I know it's we're in the midst of the World Series, so we brought in a few of our utility players to join us today. Caitlin Martin, who many of you have heard from before, uh, Greg Jarmus, and Hope Shields, who was with us not too long ago. And Greg, I haven't we haven't had you on in a little while, but welcome, welcome all of you. Mark, welcome to you. Um, Thanks, Blake. It's a it's it's a very anxiety ridden time, I think, in terms of the last twenty four hours and the the um the events that we've seen with um these pipe bombs being sent to Presidents Obama and Clinton, um Vice President Biden now, um to John Brennan at CNN, which caused CNN's New York office to be evacuated, uh, the actor Robert De Niro in uh, in Lower Manhattan, uh, among others, who have who have received these deadly devices. Um, you know, hard to, hard to think about that in the context of, of politics, but it but it is it, it is. Um, you know, a clearly uh, partisan um, effort, the recipients of these bombs so far um, are uh, all Democrats and have all been targets one way or another of, of criticism from, from the president and his allies. Um, Mark, at Dan Baltz in the Washington Post had had an op-ed about the politics, which he's titled "The Politics of the Apocalypse." Um, what do you What do you make of of the political ramifications of of this? I mean, a, a, clearly an assassination attempt. Um, and does it does it shift anything about the, the sort of State of play um, on, on either side, both sides. Um, does the does the rhetoric tamp down? The president certainly hasn't hasn't toned his rhetoric down. Um, but what do you what do you make of the political ramifications of of this, Mark? Well, as you said, it's hard to talk about. It's a very fraught time. I think uh, the country was anxious before we came upon the midterms. The midterms, I think, torqued up the anxiety, and now yesterday's development, uh, these assassination attempts, uh, 
I think have really revved up the anxiety. So it it is hard to talk about. I think we begin by being grateful that all of these uh, assassination attempts failed. I think we need to be hopeful that we've seen the end of that. We don't know who did this. We do know that we live in an incendiary environment. We don't know who made these incendiary devices. We do know we live in an incendiary political time, and we know some of the people who have been uh, have been inciting that. I I like to look ahead instead of uh, behind, and this is an opportunity certainly for the president to lead and to to bring us together. Uh, I don't expect that, but that is certainly an opportunity. I think. Uh, I think politically we're getting closer to the midterms. People's minds have mostly been made up. It's more a question now of who's going to show up to vote than of persuasion. And I hope this story goes away because the threat goes away and then we don't have to worry about the uh, political impact of it. Taylor, what do you what do you sense is, is sort of the the thinking among among the the, the pro Trump crowd. I mean, do they? You know, the same night that um, that at least the well, I'd say the second round because George Soros got was discovered first, and then the next day there were there were others, and we're finding more today. Um, but that night there was a Trump held a rally in Wisconsin. And the locker up chants were were um, were were present. The Trump campaign, although they admitted it was it was an accident, sent out a um, a harshly worded missive about CNN, even though CNN had to evacuate its um, its New York headquarters, and prompting, among many things, a very very strong statement from. Um, CNN worldwide president Jeff Zucker um, about the president's rhetoric. Um, do, you, do you sense it has uh, that there's any any understanding on the part of of Trump or Trump supporters that there might be some relationship between the the harsh rhetoric and what clearly is the the act of and Mark said we don't know who, but but certainly of mad a mad person or persons. I mean, look, I don't think that the statements that he made on the president made on Twitter this morning or at the rally last night were helpful. I wish he would kind of stay quiet and try to temper this um, sort of outrage that we're seeing. And I don't think it's helpful. But it's two weeks to election day. This is. Then you know a we're living in in what feels like a very politically divisive time. I don't expect that the president is going to change or pivot. <laughs> you know we've seen whether it was his reaction to Charlottesville, which was terrible, or his reaction to other things that have happened. I, I just don't think that we're going to expect that we that that he's going to change and that we're going to see something different 
you know, the administration did come out with a strong, swift statement yesterday. Um, I think when the president goes to these rallies and gets surrounded by his supporters, and I, I wish he, you know, would stop tweeting and stop seeming to stoke some of the divisiveness, but it's been successful for him. These political fundraising emails attacking the media have been something that has been successful for him, and to expect that that's all going to stop as much as I'd like it to, I just don't, that's not what we're seeing. Yeah, I mean, we are sort of at this at this moment, and as unfortunate as as it is, Hope, in terms of having to come to grips with come to grips with the events of the last the last few days. The country is bitterly divided. It is overly partisan, um, and it's anxious. And I just wonder how you those sentiments and the sentiments that we've seen on television. Um, both contrasting the Trump rallies with with um, the reactions of, of journalists to to these assassination attempts, how do you sense that 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 translates on election day? I mean, we still have what twelve days uh, twelve days to go, um, which they just seem to creep by for me. But, but but what do you what do you sense in terms of that? We it feels like we've reached that that sort of fever pitch, but I wanted to, wanted to get your thoughts about the relationship between the attitudes that we're seeing now and what we can expect on Election Day. Well, yeah, no, so the days are kind of going by very slowly, but also flying by. Like, what, it's 14, 13 days now? Wow. 12 days. Um, and it's interesting because every cycle, every couple of weeks, it definitely feels like, oh, now we've reached a new fever pitch. I mean, I don't even know which which example to bring up first, but, you know, there's the week where children are being separated at the border and the phones were going crazy, and then, oh, there's nothing else that could happen that would be worse than this. And then every couple of weeks, there's something even more. But I don't think the events of yesterday or the events of last week really change like either side's base, but there's a huge hunk of the American population that's right in the middle. And my hope is that, you know, we do agree. I mean, I think it's pretty basic to agree that it's not okay to try to blow someone up if you don't agree with them. Um, and I think that's one of the things that makes what last week's events with the um, Khashoggi so impactful because it's not okay to dismember someone because you disagree with them. And I think that's what makes this country different from other countries. Um, and like with a specific point of one towards totalitarian regimes. Um, <laughs> but I, I wonder, I don't know how this impacts purple states. I hope, like, I definitely have faith in democracy, which is kind of, which is to say that I hope that it, people care that this happened, but I don't know that that changes the basic economic things or the basic angst or the bank, basic reasoning that would make them vote in either way yeah. or otherwise. And I don't think this makes them more or likely to engage in that political process. Yeah. Well, like, Caitlin, yeah. It was, look, it was just under a year and a half ago that a crazy individual with a firearm mowed down and attempted to assassinate over a dozen Republican members of Congress. And that 
you know, Steve Scalise has come out and urged calmness let's, several times. Let's sort of change, but but that didn't change anything as far as the partisanship. Yeah. And talk about what Hope was saying with kind of forgetting and the short-sightedness of how things are today. That was not even a year and a half ago. And yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a and and a and, and a, a, certainly a good thing to to be mindful of, Greg. I mean, we. It, it was, you know, it was one thing where, you know, there were, there were, you know, tough debates, but something's changed. I mean, it's, it, it is a point that, and I'll go back to the Dan Baltz op-ed and the post today, but, you know, that, that, that everything's, I mean, the rhetoric's different. There's this, the violence, and now, you know, from, from that, that event, Caitlin, that, that you talked about someone who, uh, was a professed Bernie Sanders supporter. Um, so, uh, you know, it, we're seeing, we're seeing, Greg, this this behavior now turning from, hey, I disagree with you over the Affordable Care Act, to presidents and other Democratic leaders, you know, waking up to pipe bombs in their mail. I mean, it, it just something something ain't right here. Sure, yeah, at all. Yeah, um, and to insert some some numbers into this into the discussion, Hope brought up uh, the Khashoggi uh, incident recently as one of the more scary and polarizing events. Yeah, um, and there's some recent polling from this week, an online uh, SurveyMonkey poll, um, and like like any poll, it's who, who knows how long these numbers will last, but. A uh, majority of Americans think that Trump was too soft on Saudis, and the breakdown, um, as you would expect, uh, it's not a majority of Republicans, but it is 55% of independents um, who believe that Trump was too soft on the Saudis with their explanation, and of course, their their explanations are continuing to evolve. Yeah. They're taking slightly more responsibility, calling it a premeditated act, uh, I think, earlier. Yeah, earlier yeah, they're... <laughs> They can't get their story straight, for right. sure. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't. It's an, it's an, just a deeply troubling, deeply troubling time. But and I, I think it's, it is also, you know, a, a, the long 24 hours yesterday. I think we, we do have a long 12 days until, until we get to election day. Although Mark voting has started. Early voting started in a lot of states, um, and I want to I want to pivot a bit to the map and kind of what what we can expect. I mean, certainly we're seeing the early vote turnout is high now. You know that that you know generally in in a lot of states the early vote is big election day, not as big. People who are going to vote go ahead and 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 vote early. Um, but at the same time, we are also we've also seen, you know, record numbers of you know new voter registrations. I think Snapchat alone helped register for what 400,000 people. Um, My Uber app last night was giving me a, a place to register as well. Oh, well, yeah. very good. Yeah, good. Um, so, Mark, what are you shifting a bit to the map and kind of what were early trends in in voter turnout? What are what are you what's What's the view from where you sit? I, I sort of have two observations about all of uh, the above. 
One is that after 2016, everyone is suffering from uh, PTSD. Everybody is traumatized by having guessed wrong about the results of the 2016 presidential election, starting with the president who guessed wrong and, and all the way down, and the, the current president, that is, not the uh, last president, who also guessed wrong. Everybody did. So people are reluctant to believe the data. But the data is pretty clear. The data is just looking at Congress for a minute. It's pretty clear that the Democrats have an 80% chance of taking the House, and it's pretty clear that the Republicans have an 80% chance of keeping the, uh, the Senate. And that brings me to my second observation, if you'll indulge me another minute. If Howard were here, he'd say I'm filibustering, but since he's not, I'm going <laughs> to keep talking. So the second observation is that people, I think, often misunderstand what an 80% chance is. 80% is very, very, very far from 100%. And as we were saying earlier, uh, for you World Series fans, Mookie Betts, when he leads off uh, tomorrow in Dodger Stadium for the Red Sox, he's batting 200 in the uh, postseason. He's going to have a one in five chance of getting a hit. He's going to have the same chance of getting a hit as the Republicans have of losing the Senate uh, or the Democrats have of not taking the House. But when he gets a hit, nobody's going to be surprised. Nobody's going to be shocked because an 80% chance is very, very far from 100%. And I think that's some of what went on in 2016 where the polls were wrong if you thought 80 was 100 but if you thought 80 was 80, then it was Mookie Betts getting a hit. And I think that's, that's some of what we are, we are seeing now. There's a real chance the Democrats take the House. There's a real chance the Republicans keep the Senate. But there's a real chance Mookie Betts leads off the first game in Dodger Stadium with a hit. And that means that the Democrats and the Republicans could come up on the short end uh, on November 6th also. That was my yeah. filibuster, Blake. Well, well done. Um, well done. Let's, let's talk about the Senate um, for a minute because we have, you know, two handfuls of races that are almost just – Caitlin, too close to call. I mean, I'm looking at, I'm looking at, you know, Florida, Nelson plus four, Montana, Tester plus three, Indiana, Braun plus four, um, Missouri, Halley plus one, Tennessee, Pickham, um, you know, Texas, Cruz still is hovering at you know, about a seven-point margin. He's kind of been there for about... You're calling these too close to call? No, no, no. I'm, I'm saying those are the ones that are too close to call. Um, it does seem like that, though, that um, Texas, North Dakota, West Virginia um, 
are out of reach. New Jersey, interestingly enough, is is tightening a race that Howard's yeah. been talking about. Uh, Menendez Dupont out today has him only up five, um, and so you know that would that would really be something. But what do you what are you paying attention to in the map? I mean, all eyes seem to seem to be on on those states, but but is there anything that, that we're not thinking about in terms of the Senate map? I mean, I've been paying attention to Florida for a while now. Um, I know that some, some polls came out this week that don't look great for Rick Scott. However, um, the RNC put out some data about how Republican absentee ballot returns are outpacing Democrat returns at a pretty high rate, especially when you look at um, this, the same data from 2016. I know that uh, Rick Scott put out some internal poll numbers. Florida is such an interesting state if you look at what happened in 2016. Um, I think that some of these races are, I've been hearing a lot about this blue wave, this blue wave is coming, this blue wave is coming. I, I'm, I, I'm not really buying it 100%, and I think that it's not over till it's over, and I think election night, like you said earlier, is, is going to be a, a late night, and um, I'm feeling good about some of these races as far as Republicans picking up a couple of seats. Yeah, I mean, Greg, what do you what do you think in terms of in terms of the map? I mean, I mean, you know, if the if these polls held out to to be right, which again, huge caveat uh, that we make every time on the call, certainly. Uh, Democrats would lose North Dakota. If they're going to lose North Dakota. I think we can all comfortably say. Um, and you know, Indiana seems seems um, you know a bit tough. Although although there's another poll that has that has Donnelly up one. So hard to hard to hard to make out. But Republicans could could lose the House and gain a seat or two in the Senate, which is. And we'll talk about governorships in a minute, but I think we're also trying to wrap our heads around how does that happen. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably a pretty plausible outcome. If I could pivot back to Florida for a second, and if you'll pardon kind of a crass metaphor, uh, the blue wave might have already come, and it might have been called Hurricane Michael um, <laughs> in the sense that uh, sitting governors tend to get a fair bit of free media attention um, in recovery and response to big storms, and Rick Scott got that, um, uh, like in spades over over Bill Nelson. So I think I think if Bill personally, I thought for a while that if Bill Nelson is able to hold on to that seat, it's going to be thanks to Andrew Gillum yep. driving a lot of attention and a lot of minority turnout. The in, heated debate last night. And, yeah, it was. And, yeah, it was a very interesting debate last night, um, and I think he actually performed pretty well, um, in my opinion. But uh, I think I think Nelson's kind of at this point, more or less dependent on Gillum's ability to kind of generate Obama-style enthusiasm in Florida. Well, and again, if you if if, if last night's debate is is any indication, he's he, he's going to get he's going to get some help. Um, but uh, but hope. What do you? I mean, what do you think? All eyes on all eyes on Florida. I think Beto would love for more eyes to be on to be on Texas. He just can't seem to close the. Close the gap with Cruz just appears to be too many Republicans in Texas. Um, but other other than than you know those two really high profile races, um, you know what are you what are you thinking about when you think about the Senate map? Well, I I'm still so interested by North Dakota because 
Um, from where I'm, it, it's just interesting to see what there was a recent profile on where is a lot of economic growth happening in this country, mm-hmm. and a ton of it is coming from right in that central region. And so you could say, I don't know, there are some, there's a lot of theory out there about, well, when things are going great, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But there seems to be a lot of, I, I mean, I don't think I... Correct me if I'm wrong. I haven't seen all the data on that, but yeah. I, think, I think, like, numbers-wise, there is a lot of economic growth, but I mm-hmm. think on the individual level, I'm not sure that people, that standards of living are necessarily... Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, it's all resource extraction, which tends to be, right. I mean, <laughs> a lot of other theory about when you have resource extraction, it's not equally shared, and you get large disparate amounts of equality, and in developing countries, you end up having more concentrated regimes when that happens, So, I mean, which is completely unrelated to this right here. But it is interesting kind of looking at the growth, and economic growth, and where that's been spread out. I mean, California's not really up for debate in the Senate right now. I mean, there was some interesting stuff going on with Senator Feinstein mm-hmm. a couple months ago in the primaries, but in California, there's a 19% poverty rate, and I wonder how that's going to pay, play out over the next, I don't know, maybe I've been talking about the midterm so long, I've decided to start looking at a decades-long <laughs> view of things, just because it's, what, we, 12 yeah, days now? Yeah, we have been talking about yeah. Mark. Mark, one of the challenges in North Dakota, we're seeing it in Georgia and other places, is, is you know, the voter suppression issues. You know, in North Dakota, they, they changed the, the rules now to where you have to have a, an actual address. Lots of Native Americans who live on reservations don't actually have an, a physical address. Um, in Georgia, we're learning now that the Secretary of State the Republican nominee for governor, um, <clears throat> has purged hundreds of thousands of names from Georgia voting rolls. Mark, what do you, I mean, you know, every election we, t- we talk about in light of 2016, we talk about you know, the undue influence, the potential for elections, the election to be compromised in some way, um, voter ID is on the ballot in in several states. What do you what do you make of these of these these voter suppression issues? Well, the voter suppression issues are disgraceful. Of course, they are coming from one side of the aisle, not the other, and they are intended uh, to benefit Republican candidates. We've lived with it for a long, long time. I think there, in one sense, is less voter suppression now than in the past because we have been uh, so aware of it and, and vigilant about it as a society. That That is not not just the Democratic Party. So I, I think it's baked in the cake. I think it's it's to be expected, and, and I am hopeful that the suppression efforts don't tip any of these races. I, I want to just go back for one minute, if if I may, to some of the races you were talking about. Yeah. And I'm going to violate my own uh, commitment not to talk about 2020 until uh, November 7th. But should you wake up on November 7th and find uh, Gillum is the governor-elect of Florida or Abrams is the governor-elect of Georgia, and most especially should we find 
that O'Rourke has somehow managed to close that gap and get himself elected uh, senator in Texas. You are no going way, Mark. to excuse me. No <laughs> way. Well, it's Mookie Betts. Don't <laughs> let's see what happens in the first at bat in uh, Game Three tomorrow. And and uh, what I wanted to say is, you are going to find a whole different Democratic 2020 landscape if that happens. I I don't expect it to. He's got a one in five chance of it happening, not likely. But if he gets a hit in his leadoff at bat and gets himself elected uh, senator from Texas, he is going to clear the field on the Democratic side for 2020. So a lot yeah. a lot turns on that race, a lot more than one more seat in the Senate. Yeah, no, no, no. I think that's I, I think that's you know that's an important point. We've started to see, you know, candidates, <clears throat> you know, revving their engines so to speak for for 2020. Um, but a couple of really consequential state races um, on the Democratic side. On the Republican side, Kaylin, the president says he's campaigning from now until every day from now until. Election Day, going to keep up a pretty rigorous schedule. Be in Florida next week. Yep. Um, there is approval rating. He's, he's 11 points underwater, but he's hitting the trail anyway. Um, wait, wait, wait. What do you mean 11 points underwater? He's tracking at 42.7. Look at where he was earlier this year. I mean, he's up. Uh, well, I mean, when you have Compared nowhere to, to when you have when you have nowhere to go but up, I guess that's <laughs> that's a that's a fair statement. But the I think Blake. I think what you were saying, Blake, is that uh, there's an 11% gap between his approval yeah. and disapproval, which is way yeah. underwater. And even though he's up, he's behind where Obama and others have been at this point. And Obama in 2010, with a higher approval rating than this president has today or has ever had, uh, Obama lost 63 seats in the House. Yep. So that's my footnote to whatever you were about to say, Blake. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, okay, thank you. Um, the uh, all that being said, Caitlin, he he is hitting the trail. He is fairly committed. It seems like to to making the election almost about him in 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 some unless, ways unless we lose the house and then he's got nothing to do with it. Yeah, right, of course. Yeah, right. New uh, USA Today poll out clearly demonstrates that voters are going to the polls with Trump on their mind. Uh what do you make about you mentioned that he was going to be in Florida. What do you make about about his decision to, you know, to campaign all the way through? Um do you think it's going to help? Um and you know, let's start there. Um, I think it helps generally in some of the places he's been. I've been thinking about the fact that he's going to Florida, and I, I don't, I don't know. That's one state where it could go. It could, it could be helpful, but it could also be hurtful. Rick Scott's done a lot to try to distance himself from some of the rhetoric of the president. He's disagreed with him publicly on several issues when it comes to, you know, family separation at the border. When it comes to um, the, the, the tweeting, the device, divisive rhetoric. So it'll be interesting to see how, I think um, it'll help kind of drive out some of the DeSantis base um, that, you mm -hmm. know, a lot of Floridians 
aren't super excited. It was a tough primary on the Republican side, and I think a lot of folks aren't super excited about um, DeSantis. I don't know how it really, um, if, if it's going to hurt or help Scott, and, and that it could go either way. Yeah, um, Greg, what do you make? I mean, what do you make of, of sort of the president's engagement? Um, I mean, it, it's a long time to be away from away from the White House, but. He likes these rallies. He, he, he clearly is more comfortable, more comfortable there. What do you what do you think about what if, he's doing? If some of these books are to be believed, I don't know that he really enjoys being in the White House that much. Yeah. But, um, he doesn't have to be popular everywhere is another big point. And there's been a lot of talk about how there's really two elections going on at once this season: one in the House um, in the suburbs, uh, bellwether suburbs, and then another in the Senate um, where. 14 of the 17 Senate races where there's any doubt at all to the outcome are in states that Trump won. Uh, so he's he's going, uh, he knows where he's going. He's going to places where people generally like him. Florida's a little bit more of a question mark maybe, but uh, uh, of the 33 public midterm rallies he's had to date, only eight have been uh, in areas that went for Clinton in 16. So uh, he's, he's playing to his base. Yeah, playing to his base. Yeah. He was in yeah. was in Texas earlier this week for Cruz. That's an example of somewhere I think it helped. It helped generate some excitement for Cruz. Mm-hmm. It was, I actually tuned in, first Trump rally I've tuned into in quite some time, and it was very interesting to see. I never thought I would see him up on stage talking so positively about Senator, you know, Lion Ted. And, right. Uh, it was very interesting to see, but I think that's, as Greg's saying, about where where he's choosing to go. That's an example of a place where it would certainly help Cruz. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, hope we've got we we do have this. I mean, Greg pointed out the election in the in the House, then the Senate, and then we have these governors' races. I mean, where where Democrats today look to be in pretty good shape. Um, you've got you've got Gillum leading outside the margin. I suspect that grows after after last night's debate performance. Um, you have Democrats who are Competitive in Kansas, leading in Wisconsin, um, leading in Iowa, leading in Ohio. Um, there's enthusiasm for the Democratic nominee in Idaho, of all places. Um, not suggesting she's going to win, but but there's a lot of enthusiasm uh, for her. So, you know, with Trump out there, we we are not seeing you know a ton of a ton of activity from big Democratic surrogates. Hillary Clinton has not announced a, a big tour. I'm not sure what what President Obama is going to do with with his time. What Mrs. Obama is going to do with her time. Um, what do you What do you sense of of where the the Democrat counterpoint to Trump's um, fast and furious um, campaigning? Will evolve. The Democrats need to need to trot out some some big time surrogates to to deal with to deal with him. Oh, there, what there was some recent um, discussion about how in a lot of different smaller races um, there's been an effort by Republican candidates to compare their the the person they're running against their opponent as Nancy Pelosi, and there's been a lot of distancing from those people. And so I think a lot of, I mean, part of the reason why we are where we are right now is because a lot of the Democratic leadership has been seen as very polarized.
polarizing. So I don't really see, like, I do see people love Joe, and so I definitely see <laughs> Joe Biden going around. Um, and people people love Michelle. I love Michelle. Um, but <laughs> beside the point, but I definitely see there's a lot more. I don't see that sort of proxy vote going. And if there is a proxy, I don't see Democrats trying too hard to look like there is the Nancy Pelosi in their district. Yeah. You know, I, I don't see that counting for them. And it is interesting because for Republicans, you'll see them saying either, yes, I agree with Trump 2,000%, or also trying to distance themselves. Um, but I guess I think another interesting thing that happened recently that has been quickly swept away was earlier this week there was a ton of commentary on you know, the president said, yes, I want to cut budgets across federal agencies by 5%. And it began a lot of discussions and increased concern about cuts to Medic- Medicare and Social Security, which is, you know, which was the big issue that people were really concerned about with tax cuts, because what do you do with that revenue? And I think the more that that candidates are able to talk about health care and about trade and less about allying themselves with large known Democrats, then that's better and better for them. Mark, I wanna I wanna wrap up our call kind of with with a focus on issues to pay you back on, on Hope's point. I mean we've seen we've seen the Republican we've seen a lot of Republican candidates come out and and exclaim, I think falsely, that they're they're in favor of um protecting coverage for pre-existing conditions, trying to take that health care issue <clears throat> away from the Democrats or at least mitigate it because it does seem to be so so potent as a closing argument. Um, what do you make in terms of, of issues that are uh, recognizing that, that all politics is local, um, but as we think about as we think about issues that that do transcend I than congressional districts and even even state borders. What do you make of of the Democrats' message versus the Republicans as we enter this final week? Well, m- miraculously, Blake, uh, the Democrats have a message. We somehow managed to find not only uh, the right message that is resonating with voters, but a message where the truth is clearly cutting on on the Democratic side. Healthcare in all the polls everywhere is the leading issue that voters are concerned about. And the Republicans are on the wrong side of that, just as in 2010 the Democrats were on the wrong side of that with the public. These efforts, these dishonest, they're just lies, these flat-out lies about people like Rick Scott and uh, Governor Walker and on and on, uh, Martha McSally and others, being for the protection of uh, the prohibition on pre-existing condition denials. It's just a lie, and and we're going to see if it works. I don't. It doesn't seem to be working for those people in those races, and I think what Democrats need to do is is just keep talking about what the facts are. The 
Republican issue that the president was trying to uh, ignite was immigration. He was talking endlessly about this caravan. Most of what he was saying, of course, wasn't true, and he knew it. But that doesn't seem to have have taken hold. Immigration just isn't the issue. It doesn't appear. We'll see what happens on November 6th in in 2018 that it was for him in uh, in 2016 and I've lost track with the tragic uh, assassination attempts I've lost track of where the caravan even is but I I don't think that 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 message is going to work which leaves uh, the economy which everybody everywhere cares about right behind health care and, and that is really what the Republicans have to run on, are running on. And the fact there is that, thank goodness, the economy is good. And then you drill down, as, as Hope was saying earlier, it's not good everywhere, it's not good for everyone. And, and I think health care is ultimately an economic issue anyway. So I, I think health care is going to carry the Democrats to whatever success we have on election day. Yeah, Caitlin, what's the what's the um what's the counterpoint to that from the Republican side? Well, respectfully, Mark, I mean I disagree. I think Republicans are not lying when they say that they support um, making sure that those with pre pre-existing conditions can get covered. Well, he's voted 80, 80 times. 80 times to repeal with with no replacement. replacement. With what? no replacement. With no replacement. And you have a lawsuit they've joined. I think that the one thing that's come from the Walker Affordable Care Act. Walker and Scott support the lawsuit to. Yeah. Go ahead. Go. I'm sorry. You're, I yield my time to Caitlin. <laughs> You're filibustering now. Look, I think that the one thing that most folks agree with, um, even those that did not support the Affordable Care Act, was that we did need to do something to solve the lack of insurance for those with pre-existing conditions. The Republican Party supports providing pre-existing conditions. We just need to have a better roadmap for how we would do so. And I agree that yes, you know, we can't just repeal without a solid plan to replace and address this. But look, no one wants to see what we had before where folks were having to go to emergency rooms at critical times to get care because they, they didn't have the ability. I don't, I, I disagree with Mark there on that. Well, we'll see. I mean, I, I think that, that, that Democrats will certainly, will certainly do all that they can to, to close with, with that healthcare message. Um, and, and Republicans will, will certainly try and try and counter that with, with a good economic story, um, and, and time will tell. Um, we, um, speaking of time, we are nearing the end of our time uh, today. Um, but before before we go, I will break a little news here. Um, I don't think this will surprise anybody, but uh, Megyn Kelly is out at NBC after her after her comments yesterday. So a little little bit of media news that just broke while we were while we were on this call. Um, Caitlin, we are back again. Uh, next Thursday, I believe. Great. On, yep, next Thursday, November. Oh, I'm sorry, Wednesday. Next Wednesday, 
October 31st. That'll be our last call until Election Day. Great. Spooky. And, oh, oh Halloween. Halloween. And then on Election Day, we'll be doing the Beltway Briefing. Um, Howard, Mark, and Blake will be doing the Beltway Briefing live from our Philadelphia office. We invite folks to come attend, have lunch, and watch watch yep. all the action live. I'm sure there'll be a, a lot of a, it'll be an exciting day. Mark, do you have your Halloween costume picked out? I'm working on it. I want to see right. how this World Series goes, Blake. <laughs> there you go. Good. Good. Well, yeah, so we're back on, we're back on Halloween for, for another, uh, another call, and then we'll, we'll, <laughs> Will be election day, and then probably the day after election day um, to break it all down. So we're getting we're getting to the end. Caitlin, Greg, Hope, thank you very much for joining us, Mark. Great to great to be with you. Thanks to everybody um, for listening. Comments, questions, criticisms of the moderator always welcome. Presidential analysis at cozen.com, or you can catch up with us at copublicstrategies.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Great. Thanks, Blake. Thanks, Blake. Ladies and gentlemen, that does conclude the conference call for today. We thank you for your participation and ask that you please disconnect your lines.